We're going to be in Philippians chapter 1, and I want to draw your attention primarily tonight to verse 12, and then we will um, zoom out a little bit from that and, and look at the verses around it um, a bit, but the primary thing I want us to see is there in verse 12. Listen to what Paul writes. But I want you to know, brethren, that the things which have happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. I want you to know that the things that have happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. Now, little backstory, Paul um, had started uh, this church or planted this church in Philippi on his second missionary journey. Um, when he planted it, he planted it with, uh, with Silas and with Timothy. It was planted in somewhat of a sort of turbulent circumstances, um, and it started as a very small gathering of people, excuse me, gathering of people, oh, there it is, we're back, a small gathering of people, um, handful of women that had gotten saved, part of a prayer meeting that met at the beach, there was uh, a demon-possessed girl that came to the Lord, there was a jailer and his family that came to the Lord, so a small gathering, but by the time a handful of years have passed and, and Paul is writing this letter, and this has developed into a healthy, substantial, and growing church. Um, in the first verse, Paul writes the letter and he writes to the, the saints who are in Philippi. Saints is a, is a term used to describe a follower of Jesus. It's the second most common term in the New Testament to describe who you are as a follower of Christ. Okay, it, its root is a word that means holy, and it means that you have been made holy. Your, your sins that had separated you from Christ, from God, those sins were washed from you when you put your faith in Jesus Christ, and you were made holy. You were clean um, by, the, by the redemptive work of Jesus Christ. Saints, just for the, the sake of information, the most common New Testament term to describe who you are is the term brethren. Okay, so for, you're, a, you're, a, you're a saint, you've been made holy, you're a brethren, you're a part of a family. You've been adopted into the family of God. So he, he writes these guys to the saints. It's plural, and he also writes to the bishops and to the deacons, also both in their plural form. The bishop is a term that would refer to those who are like in pastoral ministry, and the deacons would refer to those who are doing the ministry so that the ministry can happen. They're the guys that are serving around in it to enable the, the teaching of the word and the worship and the, the more intrinsically spiritual aspects of ministry to happen. So this small gathering of people have grown into a healthy and substantial church. And they are, they are a church that is not only focused on their local community, but they're a church that has a, has a global mindset. They are a church that is supporting Paul as he travels and shares the gospel and plants churches. So they, they had a relationship together. And Paul writes this letter to them, and one of the reasons that he writes to them is because they have heard about the things that happened to Paul. And, and, and he wants to assure them regarding these things that have happened to him. So the first thing that I want to do with our time together is I want us to sort of, sort of travel back a few years from where we are here in Philippians 1, and I want us to consider the things that have happened to Paul. 
Okay? He's gonna, he wants to assure them about something regarding those things, so it's important that we understand what those things are. To do that, we've got to go back to the end of Paul's third missionary journey. And Paul had a desire. There was something in him where he wanted to make his way back to Jerusalem. Jerusalem, the capital city of Israel. Israel was his nation. He wanted to be amongst his people. He had a desire to share the gospel message with them. He wrote to the Romans. He says, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they would be saved. And, and Paul had, had tremendous impact in the Gentile world with the gospel. And he was hoping to make his way back to Jerusalem to increase the effectiveness that he was having among his own people. And so his, his target date was to arrive back there at the Feast of Pentecost. Pentecost was one of the three uh, pilgrims' feasts where people would convene in Jerusalem from all over Israel and really all over the world. So there would be a, a huge swelling of the population within the city. And Paul would see that as a perfect opportunity to bring the gospel to his own people. So Paul begins to make the journey back towards Jerusalem. But Paul was well aware that in order to accomplish what God was calling him to, he was going to have to overcome some, some pretty serious obstacles. And so Paul begins to make his way back. Now, travel, travel this year has been hard, right? Travel, it's like a lot of us have, have, have canceled. I have several, I, on my Delta app, I have so, several credits for tickets that I've already purchased to places that I cannot go, okay? It's been hard. But as hard as this year has been to travel, travel in the first century was more difficult. Okay? It, was, it was a long journey. It wasn't, it wasn't traffic to an airport. It wasn't a couple-hour layover in a city you don't want to be in. And it wasn't a, you know, a long plane with someone serving you bad food. It was a long, arduous journey. And so it would have many stops along the way. And Paul knew that. And so Paul sought to take advantage of these stops along the way. The first stop that he took advantage of after leaving from Greece, he made his way across the Aegean Sea, and he stopped at a place called Miletus, and he had invited the, the leadership of the church that he had planted in Ephesus. And he invited them to come meet with him. And they had a, 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 like a mini pastor's conference. Um, it's recorded in Acts chapter 20. It's a fabulous read to, to, uh, for leadership, for understanding ministry. But among other things, Paul lets them know that he is well aware of the difficulties he's going to face when he arrives in Jerusalem. Listen to what he says. It's Acts 20 at verse 22. He says, I see, or he says, see, now I go bound in the Spirit. So he was very convinced it was the Lord. To Jerusalem, not knowing what's going to happen to me. And he said, except... The Holy Spirit testifies, so I'm bound in the Spirit. I know God wants me to go, and God has been speaking to me, and here's what the Spirit says. He says, chains and tribulations await you, Paul. So you got this, I know I'm supposed to go to Jerusalem, and God's speaking to me, and God's saying, when you get there, chains, you're going to get arrested, and tribulation. Now, we have word banks, and in these word banks, we have synonyms, that express similar thought or idea. In the word bank of difficulty, tribulation is a stupid word. 
Okay? It's not the word you want to pull out. When, when someone asks you how your day was, you are hoping to never have to reach into the word bank and pull out the word tribulation. Right? It's a bad word. And the Holy Spirit says, this is what's ahead, chains and extreme difficulties. But then Paul said this to these guys. He said, but none of these things move me because I don't count my life dear to myself. And I want to finish the race that has been set before me and, and that has to do with the furtherance of the gospel of grace. Paul knew what he's facing. Well, he leaves from Miletus and they continue to travel and they make their way to a, a city called Tyre. And Tyre is just north of Israel on the Mediterranean. And he stops there in Tyre. And, and when he arrives there, he again gathers together with a group of believers. And this time, we don't hear the message that Paul gave to them. We hear the message they gave to him. And in Acts chapter 21, Paul stayed with these disciples. And they told Paul through the Spirit, don't go to Jerusalem. And it's really interesting. Paul was bound in the Spirit to go to Jerusalem. And then they tell Paul through the Spirit, don't go to Jerusalem. Well, he makes his way from Tyre, he travels south, he crosses the border into Israel, and he makes his way to the Roman capital, a place called Caesarea, right there on the Mediterranean. And he goes to meet together with a group of believers. This time it seems like he's in a home fellowship gathering. And he meets there. And while he's there, they're in this home fellowship, and, and there was a guy there by the name of Agabus. Quick pause, that's a great name. So if you're thinking about having children, um, I've never met an Agabus. You could have the one and only, okay? But Agabus is there, and they're in the home fellowship, and Agabus gets up, and he walks over to the coat rack, and he takes Paul's belt off of the coat, and he walks back over, and he ties up his own hands and his own feet. So Agabus hog ties himself. Now just put yourself in the scene for just a minute. Imagine you're, at a home, imagine you're visiting a home fellowship for the first time. You're there, it's a time of prayer, and you start to notice motion. And you look, you open your eyes, and you go, because there's a guy on the floor in front of you hog-tying himself. You're thinking, I will never come back to this home fellowship. I will never come back to this church. And some of you are thinking, oh, no, that's normal. It happens all the time. That's part of the practice of the home fellowships here at Calvary. But anyway, so then they, he says, this is what's going to happen to the owner of this belt if he goes to Jerusalem. And Paul responds to that, and he says to them, why are, are you, you know, causing me to weep? Why are you breaking my heart? He says, I am not only ready to be bound, but I'm ready to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And then they said to him, that they, since they knew they couldn't, be, they couldn't persuade him, they said, the will of the Lord be done. Before we continue to talk about the things happening to Paul, I, I want to pause for a moment because there's an interesting dynamic that's developing as this narrative unfolds. We have Paul looking at, this, at a set of circumstances and drawing a conclusion. He's drawing the conclusion that God wants him to go to Jerusalem. You've got another group of people that are well-meaning believers looking at the same evidence and they're drawing a different conclusion. Their conclusion is Paul shouldn't go to Jerusalem. That's really interesting, isn't it? Two se separate groups of people looking at the same information and drawing different conclusions. And, and the, con the conclusion, I think, was, was drawn by those well-meaning believers because 
They thought it couldn't be the Lord to send Paul into something where he would be facing such difficulty and opposition and something that might stop his very effective mission endeavors. Where Paul looked at it as, these are the obstacles that I must endure if I'm going to accomplish the will of God for my life. And so I want to encourage, I think maybe that might be, you know, an encouragement for us tonight, that there's that reality. There are obstacles that we must endure if we're going to accomplish that which God has called us to. If we're going to reach the end of that, we have to be willing to endure those, those difficulties. And Paul was willing to walk through those. Well, Paul arrives then in Jerusalem. He takes a couple of days, kind of a hiatus, rest from his travel. And then he makes his way to the temple. And he enters into the temple. And, and you remember from your studies that the temple had various courts. The most exterior court of the temple was something referred to as the court of the Gentiles. And, and that access was granted to anyone there. Anyone could be on the court of the Gentiles. But then there was a gate that would separate into the next court. The, you had to be Jewish in order to enter into that next court. And there was a, a sign on the wall of that temple. It's a very unfortunate sign. It was a sign that said, do not cross this entryway or you're going to die, right? Now, I think it's an unfortunate sign because I think you could have put a better sign there. You could have put a sign there that said this, you know what? God loves you <laughs> and God wants to save you. And if you convert, you can be saved and you can come in here. Like it's a, it's a totally different way of looking at the same thing. But there's a reality that the non-Jewish people were not allowed into this courtyard. Well, Paul enters in there. And then a false accusation was made that Paul had brought one of his Gentile traveling companions with him into this court. It wasn't true. Paul was not trying to make a social statement at the time about the unfair circumstances of not allowing Gentiles into a Jewish court. Okay, Paul wasn't doing that. It was a false accusation. And when this accusation was, was made, a riot broke out. Now, the, the geopolitical scene in Israel in the first century was very hot. And the Romans knew that. And so the Romans would react very quickly and very strongly against any sort of rioting or, or things of that nature. And so they sent soldiers immediately onto the scene and they arrested Paul, which is a really interesting situation. Paul is falsely accused, Paul is being beat up, and Paul gets arrested. And so they take Paul there, they arrest him, and through a series of circumstances, they ship him back to Caesarea, the Roman capital of Israel, and they put him in jail. And there, he, he, he hasn't been tried, um, he hasn't you know, been able to truly face his accusers. He's just left there in prison for two years, forgotten. His, his civil rights have been taken away from him. His freedom has been taken away from him. Accusations, false accusations have continually been made about him for two years. Finally, after two years, Paul uses his privilege in order to um, to really further the, the cause of Christ. And we all have privilege. It's a good idea to use ours for the cause of Christ. But what Paul does is he says, he says, I, as a Roman citizen, I have the right to appeal to the highest court 
So he appeals to Caesar. In other words, I want to stand trial in Rome before the Senate. And his right as a citizen allows for that. So a process begins to, to get Paul from Caesarea to Rome. So he, they acquire a ship, they get on the ship, they begin to make the travel. The problem is, is the Mediterranean like the Atlantic? Um, there, is, uh, uh, there are seasons when sea travel is safe, and there are seasons when sea travel is less safe because of storms that develop. Well, they were pretty late in the season. They begin to make the journey, and, and a storm arises. Now, I, the, the, the storm, the biblical name for the storm is a Euroclidon. That's just a great word, right? We have hurricanes. Oh, hurricane. Euroclidon. That's just like way more manly. Like, what happened to your house? We got hit by a hurricane. What happened to your house? We got hit by a Euroclidon. It's like, whoa, that's powerful. So anyway, big storm. <clears throat> they, they, they're unable to navigate. Uh, they are being tossed by the sea. They don't know where they are. Finally, the ship is run into a reef. And the ship begins to break up on the reef, and they're forced in the midst of the, the um, intense weather, these guys are forced to jump off the ship and swim their way through the reef, swim their way to the land. When they arrive there, the, the, um, the inhabitants of this island, they build a fire for them. The Bible doesn't say this, but likely they went to their homes, grabbed blankets, dry clothes, put it on these guys, and they're standing around the fire warming themselves. And the fire begins to burn out. And so Paul takes it upon himself to grab more wood. And a poisonous snake latches onto his hand. You think, like, you, you can't write stuff like this. No one would believe it. It just goes from bad to worse. And Paul's standing there with a poison viper hanging from his hand. And he shakes the thing off into the fire. And then they think he's a god. And he tells them he's not. And he is able to share the gospel with them. Well, they, they're stuck on this island for several months. They have to wait for the season to change. They acquire another ship. They make their way to Rome. When they finally arrive at Rome, Paul is, Paul's incarcerated. Paul is put in, in, in prison. It's a house arrest. He's chained to a soldier, and he will remain there for two years before his case will finally be brought before, into the, the, before the Senate, before Caesar. This is, a, this is a four and a half year ordeal that he goes through. Now, I want you to look again at verse 12. Paul says, <clears throat> I want you to know, brethren, that the things that have happened to me. Does that phrase mean a little bit more to us than it did maybe 15 minutes ago? The things that have happened to me? That's a packed phrase, isn't it? Tremendous you know, almost, almost unreasonable things have happened to Paul. Now, what I want to do is just pause for a moment. And before we move on to the latter part of this verse, I want you to consider for a moment the things that are happening to you. Now, now I'm not, I, I don't want to do it like this. I don't want you to feel small and insignificant and guilty for struggling with the things that happened to you. That's not my point. My point isn't to say, Look at all that Paul went through. And what are you whining about, you bunch of babies? Okay, that's not my point. Okay, the, there's a modern proverb that goes like this. Misery loves company. And kind of the idea of this proverb is, 
it, the, the counsel from this proverb would be, listen, if you're going through difficulty, just find someone who's going through something more difficult and you'll feel bitter about, better about yourself. That is morbid. That is a terrible way to go through life. Like, no, my leg hurts. I'm going to go find somebody who both legs hurt. And then I'm going to feel better. Okay, that's just weird. The Bible doesn't counsel us to live that way. So my point is not to make us feel small because of all the grand things that Paul had to endure. My point is just to consider for a moment, what are the things that are happening to you? Now, there are some things that are happening kind of to all of us. Like we're in a, we're in a cultural climate right now that is very difficult to, to live through as a follower of Jesus. Um, I grew up on a, on a healthy diet of cartoons. And so I would say much of my education came from Hanna-Barbera. And, uh, and there was a, one particular cartoon where Bugs Bunny and Daffy and Elmer Fudd, Elmer's the hunter, and he's hunting for Daffy's hunting for Bugs. And so there's this scene where, where Bugs says to Daffy, he says, it's duck season. And Daffy says, no, it's rabbit season. They go back and forth. Duck season, rabbit season, duck season, rabbit season. And then Bug switches. And he goes, rabbit season. And then Daffy says, duck season. It's duck season. It's duck season. And Elmer turns and blows, shoots, you know, a bunch of buckshot right into the face of Daffy Duck. Okay, so if you've never seen it, Google it. It's worth a watch. But, uh, okay, duck season, rabbit season, duck season. I think in this last year, it's been... Christian season, you know, pastor season, Christian season, season, or or it's been Judeo-Christian value season. Like we feel like we're just radically under attack, right? I mean, there's that's kind of corporately what we've been traveling through. It's a difficult season, and then we have the individual things that have happened to us. You know, some of us were struggling with an illness. Others. Others of us with, with some sort of emotional problem or, or, or a relational issue. And we've had, you know, we've had a friendship that's been severed or, or we have trials going on within our marriage or within our family. We have the things that are happening to us. And I think it's just a good idea for us to, to, just to consider those. Okay, what, what are the things that are happening to me? Now, in light of that, let's move on to the latter part of verse 12. Paul says this, I want you to know, brethren that all those things that have happened to me have turned out for what? It's verse 12, we'll try it again. You weren't ready for the, you weren't ready for a quiz. I didn't tell you it was coming, okay? It says, I want you to know, brethren, that the things that have happened to me have actually turned out for what? The furtherance of the gospel. These things, all this stuff that's gone on, all this stuff that you hear about, by the way, they love Paul. None of them are happy to hear about Paul being beat up in Jerusalem. None of them are happy to hear about Paul being forgotten in a prison cell in Caesarea. None of them are happy to hear about Paul's shipwreck or swimming into the beach or being bit by a snake or, or, or being forgotten in jail in Rome. Okay, they're concerned about him. But he says, I want you to know, guys, this stuff has happened for the furtherance of the gospel. Now, the word furtherance is a word, it's, its most natural meaning is a word that simply means to move something forward, okay? It's to move something forward. So, he's saying the gospel itself is making forward progress because of the circumstances that I've gone through. So, you could say like, the gospel was here, and now the gospel's here, and what took the gospel from here to here 
were my circumstances. It moved the gospel forward. Okay, the, the, message of the, of, of the, the message of salvation and a person responding to that message and a person becoming a brethren, a saint, a follower of God, right? That, that happened, the gospel furthered. And, and we also say the kingdom of God furthered, right? That person, they met Jesus and God began that wonderful work of transforming them through his word, by the power of his spirit, that people's lives are changing. The gospel's moving forward as a result of his circumstances. But this word can also have some other like little nuances to it. It can carry the idea of opening a door that had previously been locked. So it's like there are the gospels, for the gospel to move forward, the gospel, it, it faces impediments, things that are in the way. And those are often, they're often closed doors. Like we haven't been able to get the gospel into this area or into this region or into this family. We, we haven't been able to do that. But Paul says, well, the circumstances that I went through caused the gospel to get into places that the gospel had not got into before. And then the word can also carry an idea of, of it's like a, <clears throat> it would be like if you were building a road and there were things in the way of building that road, there were impediments and those impediments had to move. Uh, the, the Romans were a very, were a very effective builders. And in addition to the structures that they built, they built a road system that had connected the Hellenistic world together. And they, they connect all these things together. But to build a road, you've got to deal with whatever impediment is in the way, right? You guys live in sort of a hilly area. These, by the way, these are mountains for, for where we live. I live in Florida. Okay, the, the highest elevation in the state of Florida, you ready for it? 400 feet above sea level. That's the highest land elevation in the state of Florida. My house is 12 feet above sea level. That's how high I live. When I go upstairs in my house, I have to chew gum because my ears pop. <laughs> but you get the idea. Like, yeah, and so here on the ground, it's like, whoa, look at all these mountains, okay? Um, but, but, you know, if you're going to make a road from here to here, you've got things in the way, right? That's why your, mount, your roads go like this, right? Because, like, we're not moving that. We're lazy. And we go around here and go like this, okay? But you've been maybe traveled through mountainous areas where you're, you're coming along and all of a sudden you hit a tunnel, and you go through the tunnel, there's areas where, like, I've driven, like, over a mile in a tunnel in a mountain area. What does that mean? That means they wanted to get a road from here to here, and there was something in the way called a mountain, and they went, that mountain's not stopping us. They just bore a hole through it, okay? And then we drive through the thing. You get the idea? Okay, here's what Paul's saying. The gospel further, but how did it further? Well, it got into areas that it would not have otherwise been able to get in if I didn't go through these things. And impediments, obstacles that were stopping the forward motion of the gospel were removed because of the circumstances that I went through. Listen to some of them. When Paul was in Caesarea, he was there for two years. One of Paul's traveling companions was a man by the name of Luke. Luke was we know him best as the author of the Gospel of Luke and the author of the book of Acts. But Luke was not one of the original followers of Jesus. Luke came on the scene during Paul's second missionary journey. It's, it's likely, though not stated, that Luke came to Christ through Paul's ministry. 
Luke writes this very detailed description of the life and ministry of Jesus. And it seems to be actually like a legal document. It, it, it seems to be something that, was, that he was you know, almost commissioned to do it by a man by the name of Theophilus. They want to find out, like, what is, what is actually, we're hearing all this story about this person of Jesus, all these things about him, this Christianity is spreading throughout the empire. We want to find out what actually is true about it. And it seems that Luke is commissioned in order to write this, this biographical sketch of the life of Jesus. And it's likely that he did his research to write that during the two years that Paul was incarcerated in Caesarea. That's pretty powerful. Well, in addition to that, when, when they, were, they went on that ship and they, they wrecked and they were on that island, um, while they were there, Paul had an opportunity to encounter the governor of that region. And Paul was able to lead him into a relationship with Jesus. The Bible goes silent after that. But history tells us that the governor of that island ended up becoming not only a follower of Jesus, but became the pastor of the church on that island. And that that church for 300 years had a tremendous impact upon that island. Prior to Paul landing on that island, it was a pagan Roman city. After Paul comes, the gospel's preached, and the kingdom of God came upon that island. And for 300 years, well into the fourth century, there was a strong and healthy Christian community on that island. Then they make their way over to, uh, to Rome, and Paul's incarcerated. And while Paul's imprisoned in Rome for two years, he writes four books of the New Testament. Did the gospel further? Did it go places that it wouldn't have otherwise gone? It's tremendous. Also, look at what Paul says. Look at verse 13. Verse 13, he says, It has become evident to the whole palace guard and to all the rest that my chains are in Christ. It's become evident to the palace guard. How do you reach the royal guard? Like, how do you reach those guys? Like you, go, you go, man, we've been effective. Like we're, we're seeing the gospel spread. But you know where we haven't been effective? We haven't been effective in reaching into like the highest ranks of the military of Rome. How are we going to do this? God said, God's got a plan. I'll just, I'll, I'll chain Paul to a royal guard and they'll switch off because they don't work 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And Paul just gets to share the gospel with them. The palace guards hearing about the Lord. And then look at what he says in chapter, well, in chapter four, you can turn the page if you want. At verse 22, he says this, all the saints greet you. Okay, he's writing from Rome. He's writing to Greece, to the Philippians. He writes, all the saints greet you, but especially those who are of what? Caesar's house, Caesar's family. Sit back, how are we going to reach the emperor's family? How are we going to get the gospel in there? I mean, we're, we're seeing families reach for the, for the kingdom. There are families all over the place that people are hearing about Jesus and they're getting saved and they're leading family members to the Lord and, and lives are changing and communities are changing. But man, how are we going to get to the, go the gospel into the royal family? How's it possible? It's like, well, here's what I'll do. I'll let things happen to Paul that'll further the gospel. They'll open doors that were not previously open and they will move obstacles that once stood in the way. Now, let's go back to ourselves. 
So those are the things that happened to Paul, and th those are some of the ways that those things helped move the gospel forward. Now let's look at our own circumstances. So are the things that are happening to you, are they happening to further the gospel? Like if, if we look back, we go, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to turn around, and I'm going to look back over the last calendar year. These are the things that have happened to me. Have they happened to help the gospel move forward? Has the, has the kingdom of God furthered through the circumstances that have gone on to us? The, the things that we're all experiencing corporately and then individually the difficulties that we're going through. Are they moving the ball forward? Is the gospel furthering? Is the kingdom spreading? Or are they just the things that are happening to us? Did you understand the difference? Like these things, there's no way to avoid these things happening to us. But there is a way that we can ensure that we go from these are the things that are happening to me to these things are furthering the gospel. They're making the gospel move forward. They're expanding the kingdom of God. I want to suggest to you three things in our text that can cause us to go from, hey, this is just happening to me to, hey, this stuff is actually furthering the kingdom. We'll go through them rather quickly, but the first is found over in verse 19. Take a look. Verse 19. Paul writes, For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Christ Jesus, according to my earnest expectation and hope that in nothing I will be ashamed, but with all boldness, as always, so now also. So right now, in the midst of all these things that are happening to me, he says, Christ will be, do you see that word? Magnified. Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. And he goes on to make that tremendously powerful statement, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. How is it that the things that, that, the things that happened to Paul actually happened to further the kingdom? How can we go from these are the things that are happening to me to these things that are furthering the kingdom? We seek to magnify God in our circumstances. We seek to magnify God in our circumstances. Now, the word here, magnify, the root word is the word mega. Mega. Now, that might not mean anything to you, but I grew up in the 80s in Southern California, and that was one of our slang terms, okay? That's mega, man. Mega. It just meant something's just so big, okay? That's what the word means. It means large. And this word here, magnified, means to enlarge something, okay? Magnification is to either, you're either taking something that is so small that you can't see it as it really is, and you're magnifying it so you can see it, or you're taking something that is so distant that you can't see it as it really is, and you're magnifying so you can see it as it is, okay? My dad, he was a great man, I loved him. But he had some weird quirks. Now, let me pause real quick before you get offended at me saying anything bad about my dad. If my sons were up here, they might say, my dad's a good man, but he's got some weird quirks. Okay, so we all understand that's just how it works. But, but my, my dad would, would fixate on some odd things, and he would always want to share them with us. Well, I'd heard them all. And so when Christy and I first started dating, and she would, she would come over to the house, 
And my dad would see like fresh meat that he could share his weird things with. And so she, we'd all, I always get in trouble because he'd start and I'd leave the room and she'd be pinned with him telling her some weird thing. And one time he had these articles that he'd brought out on dust mites. Okay, and he starts showing them. There's all these magnified pictures of dust mites. They're everywhere. They're in the carpet. They're in this. And they're, the, they're in this. And they cause this. And he's showing these pictures of these. these they look like they're out of some sci-fi movie. These gigantic, horrible things. And what happened? They're microscopic little things. But you magnify and show them how large they are. So Paul says this. Listen, the circumstances that I'm going through, these circumstances, I'm allowing God to be magnified in my circumstances. I think that might have something to do with like perspective, where instead of Paul looking to God and having this sort of conundrum of how, God, could you allow these things happen to me? God, I, I love you and I follow you and I serve you and how could you let me get bit by snakes? I hate snakes. They're, they're slimy, they're disgusting, and yet, Lord, you let me get bit by a snake when I was wet and cold in a rainstorm. And I just don't understand it, God. It's just not fair. Instead of that, Paul's perspective was, what do you want me to do, Lord, when I just threw a snake off my hand and it landed into the fire and I should have died and I didn't? What do you want me to do with that? And he chose to share the gospel with the people that were stunned by what happened. So I think the first thing, if we want to go from, hey, this stuff's just happening to me to this stuff's actually moving the kingdom forward, is we want to let the things that are happening to us actually magnify God. People have... People have a wrong view of God. I mean, one of the, one of the, things, that have, one of the things that's been a, a topic of conversation in our country this year is whether or not church is essential, right? Is church essential or not? Okay, and in some parts of the country, they're saying church is completely unessential. Why would somebody say that? Well, because their view of God is he's a dust mite. Their view of God is that he's so small and so insignificant to life that he just doesn't matter. What do we need to do? We need to be living lives in such a way that the things that are happening to us are magnifying God so somebody whose view of God would be so small that they would think that church is completely irrelevant to life might actually see God alive and at work in us. We magnify God. Let's look at a second thing, a second way we can go from happening to us to furthering the kingdom is what Paul tells us happened to the rest of the folks. Verse 14 says, most of the brethren in the Lord have become confident by my chains and are much more bold to speak the word without fear. People have become confident and have been emboldened. So Paul's circumstances are causing people to have confidence and boldness. Now, boldness is a word that carries the idea of both courage and daring. So I'm, I'm more courageous and I'm willing to take more chances because of what God has, has gone through. Boldness is a character trait that is developed in the believer in at least three ways. Number one, it's not a, it might not be a natural character trait. In fact, natural boldness where you are just obstinate or you're just kind of a real aggressive person, that's not the boldness Paul's talking about. Paul's talking about this spiritual character trait where we're willing to, be, to confidently do what God has asked us to do and even risk ourselves to do it. It's something that's developed 
um, uh, by a work of God's Spirit. Paul asked the Ephesian church to pray for him to have boldness. He knew that it was something that came from God. Number two, boldness is something that's developed as we faithfully serve the Lord. There's a verse that talks about how serving as deacons develops boldness in us. That was something David experienced. Remember when David went out to face Goliath? Saul says, you can't do that. You're a kid, right? And David says, well, there was a lion and there was a bear and he's no different than that, right? He had developed boldness because he'd been doing what God had asked him to do in the field. He could do what God had asked him to do on the battlefield. And then finally, boldness is something that's developed when we recognize that God is with us. God's with us. Said David encouraged Solomon as Solomon stepped into what he was going to do. And he said, Solomon, you don't need to be afraid. God's going to be with you until you finish this. Like you, you just, God's with you side by side. Jesus, Jesus exhorted us in that when he, when he told us that we could go into the whole world and make disciples, right? And he said, lo, I'm with you to the end of the age. The last thing, and we'll wrap up the worship team. You guys can make your way out if you want. But the last thing is, is that they stayed focused. And, and so we read in verse 15, some preach Christ out of envy and strife. Some, I'll add the phrase, preach Christ from goodwill. The former preach Christ from selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my chains. But the latter, I'll add, preach Christ out of love, knowing I'm appointed for the defense of the gospel. What then only that in every way, pretense or truth, Christ is preached. Here's how, here's how the kingdom furthered through their circumstances. Not only did, they, did Paul want to magnify God, not only did people become emboldened, courageous to, to step out and do what God was asking them to do, but they were preaching the gospel itself. Right now, we are, in a, again, in a cultural climate where it is so tempting to talk about so many other things. But I think more than ever in my lifetime, the world needs to hear the message of the gospel, don't they? Isn't that what the world needs? My story, um, I didn't grow up in a Christian home. Um, I, had, I was uh, almost 18 years old the first time I ever heard the gospel. My thinking on every subject was opposed to what the Bible teaches. Okay, any subject you can think of, my thinking was opposed to it. And if someone came to me and just wanted to talk to me about a subject matter by which I was opposed to what the Bible taught, I, had, I was such a loud mouth, little punk, I would have argued, I would have gotten a fight with you. But listen, someone came to me with a simple message. Jim, you're a sinner and Jesus is the Savior. I had no argument. Okay? I had no argument that I was a sinner. My mom wouldn't argue that. My brothers wouldn't argue that. My friends wouldn't argue that. You know, the, the neighborhood parents wouldn't argue that. Um, and, and then this message that, you know what, Jesus is a Savior. And when I responded to that message and I put my faith in Jesus, God began to change my thinking on just about every subject of life, right? And so sometimes what happens to us is, is we want to... We, we, we want to put the secondary message in the front rather than let the gospel lead. The gospel will further when we make the gospel the primary message that we share. So, Father, thank you. Thank you, Lord, that Paul's life serves as such an example. We know it's not perfect, but, 
thank you for the example that it serves to us. And Lord, we, we want our lives to matter. Lord, we want our lives to have effect. We don't want to be at the end of whatever this season is that you're allowing the whole world to go through. We don't want to be at the end of it and having just made it through. Lord, we want to come to the end of it and say, the things that happened to us actually turned out to move the gospel forward, to further the kingdom of God, to impact lives for eternity. So we pray you'd help us in Jesus' name. Amen.